Wednesday at 9 p.m. Season 1, Episode 6. Coming up on the show, we discuss the elusive Kinderhook creature and why seeing shadowy figures at night shouldn't dissuade you from seeing your girlfriend. I'm Nick, and joining me is Frank and Aaron. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so much for a natural no, intro, we're, Frank. We're, we're... <laughs> I was thinking of what Aaron was going to say. Oh, that's <clears throat> Okay, let me cut that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond. Oh my, I'm going to laugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we should just leave this whole part in. No, I... <laughs> I thought I did pretty good. Aaron, you did. No, we're, no, we're saving Aaron. You, you pick up after what? he said this intro. No. Say, no, say you're you her. Say, say you're him. <laughs> I, no, I can't. Aaron. Kinderhook? What about Kind Him Hook? Well said, Aaron. Well said. It's a very intriguing hook, Nick. What have you got for us tonight? So, tonight we're going to be talking about the Kinderhook creature, which was, or encapsulates, um, a lot of sightings that happened around the Kinderhook uh, area in Columbia County. That, Frank, you love Kinderhook. I do love Kinderhook. It's a beautiful little place. I always stop there my way up or down state. I didn't realize there was a... Uh... There were stories about it, so I'm excited to hear. Yeah, so some interesting things about Kinderhook. It's very old, actually, like the settlement. Uh, it was settled before 1651 and then officially established as a town in 1788. So it's very old. It's a very old town. Wow. And um, sadly, it actually lost a lot of its uh, territory through the years, like through the hundreds of years to form other towns. Um, so it's actually a lot smaller today than it was probably 200 years ago, which I thought was pretty interesting. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause right now it seems such like a tiny little, I don't want to say forgotten place, but yeah. I know there's the, I don't know if you're going to mention this, the Martin Van Buren historical yes. center or something well, right there. Martin Van, he doesn't show up in this uh, story of Kinderhook, but he was born there mm. and he did end up retiring to there as well. That makes sense. The story comes from uh, a book by Bruce Hallenbeck. Oh, Bruce. Bruce Hallenbeck. Uh, he's an author, actor, writer, and director. And we were talking about this before the show. He so his writing and directing <laughs> was like kind of in the nineties, early two thousands for these probably like very interesting, we'll say horror movies. And I found some some examples are The Drowned and uh, London After Midnight. He wrote and directed both of those, hmm. and now he played in about the same time frame in some more recent ones in like the twenty tens and one in twenty twenty three, which is uh. Rip Van Winkle Part Two, but the Rip is actually spelled out R I P. Is there a Part One, or did he just oh, make a Part Two? Oh, I have no idea. I just it was. Wait, isn't that it was on his IMDb? Isn't Rip always spelled with no? But like 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 R dot I dot P. Oh, yeah, like rest oh. in peace, rest in peace, gotcha. Van Winkle Part Two. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so what, what happened to part one? I don't know. I just asked that, Frank. Get with the program. <laughs> I was Google. Oh, I'm sorry, Aaron. So, yeah, writer, actor, director, but more importantly, author. 
And some of the books he has written, or, you know, wrote alongside people as well, uh, were Monsters of New York, Monsters of New Jersey, and what we will talk oh. about tonight, the Kinderhook Creature, which describes his own personal experiences, as well as the people of Kinderhook, including his family. Oh, he is, wow. He is from so it's Kinderhook. not just research. No. The, the stories you will hear went from about the late 70s to the mid-1980s, and they are experiences he had, his family had, um, other people in the town that he uh, interviewed, and a multitude of other things. Awesome. Oh, quick question, Nick. Quick answer. Is Kinderhook, is that German for something? Do you know? I believe it's Dutch for Children's Corner. Dutch. Ah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I was reading. It was um, when Henry Hudson was coming up. I think it said there were um, kind of on the corner of like a ridge or something. There were like a large. There was a large congregation of uh, Native American children, like watching him, and they're seeing him in this crazy boat, floating huh. down the Hudson or I, up the Hudson. I guess he wasn't coming from Canada. So I guess that's an apt name. Yeah. But all right. Let's get in to talking about the Kinderhook creature. As I said, these sightings that we'll talk about mainly occurred in the late 70s and uh, mid to mid 80s, rather. And the sightings included hearing a lot of noises, finding tracks, and there are actually images in the book of uh, Bruce holding plaster casts of uh, footprints. I don't know if we plaster can take casts. those from the book and show them in the show notes. It... They are in the show notes. And the book is on Amazon. You can get it in a Kindle version, uh, which I did, or uh, a physical copy. But the first story happens in 1978, where the Hudson River Chronicle reports sightings of hairy bipedal anthropoids, as uh, Bruce put it, in Dutchess County. So, how the counties work, and actually, Kinderhook's pretty close to Rensselaer County, where we all went to school. Yeah. So, if you look on a map, and we can put a map of the counties in the show notes, you have certainly right to the eastern border of New York, and in the middle, there's Rensselaer County. Right underneath it is... Columbia County, and I believe right underneath Columbia County is Dutchess County. Yeah, yeah. Nick, um, quick question before you continue. Yeah. Anthropoid, is that like bug-like humanoid? Like, what does that mean? Uh, anthropoid? Yeah, didn't you say anthropoid? Yeah, I actually don't know. I was just taking Bruce's word for it. Let's look it up. All right. A suborder of higher primates, such as macaques or marmosets. Okay, so it is just, like, ape. Okay. I guess. But yeah, so that happened in 1978 in Dutchess County. And like I said, it's pretty close to Columbia County. But now we're going to get into the first instance that Bruce's family had uh, a run-in with. This thing or things. There are say uh experiences with multiple entities. So might not just be oh, one boy. thing. 
So later that year in 1978, there were tracks found near uh, Bruce's grandparents' house and his parents' house. So they li- his grandparents and parents lived very close to each other. Um, the prints at uh, her at his grandparents' house were three-toed prints. So what? Yeah, not typical of like Bigfoot. Bigfoot has five toes, typically, or even like any large as you, as you've seen. As we've seen, of course. As Bigfoot has shown you his his five toes. Yes, yes. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. There were three toed prints at uh, Bruce's grandparents' house. And then Bruce's cousin, Barry, who will come up a lot in a lot of these stories, (laughs) at the time was 13 and found tracks in the woods as well near the grandparents' house. And so Bruce ended up photographing the tracks and sent them to the Chronicle, the Hudson River Chronicle. And funny enough, the images were promptly lost, and he also sent the negatives with them, and they were gone. So all of the images from those are gone. So those Hmm. are not, uh, can't prove those tracks, I guess. Around the same time in this, in this whole 1978 encounter, Bruce's grandmother saw a large creature curled up on their lawn while she was looking outside the kitchen window early in the morning. Oh. And even, so this is the late 70s, and even back then, his grandmother later recounted to him, she didn't want to tell anyone about this. She eventually did, of course, but she was afraid that she'd be carted off somewhere because some old woman saying she (laughs) saw some large creature curled up on her lawn. Who would believe that, you know? So even back then, uh, this fear of, you know, being mocked, being told you're crazy, and again, especially at an older age, that can, you know, there can be memory issues and things like that. So, But the story that the grandma experienced um in addition to that she saw this big black lump at the end of their lawn early in the morning and this is in i believe december of 1978 and she and she saw tracks like in the snow and they they had their garbage at the corner of the house it was up at the corner like maybe like on a deck or something i can't quite remember and the garbage was taken and set down in the lawn with things strewn about the lawn and taken out of the garbage. And she described <laughs> it as like a human rummaging through garbage because no bags were torn, like how an animal would get into garbage. Mm. It was and like carefully opened. and Yeah, or not carefully, but rummaging through things, probably just looking for food of some kind. And kind of corroborating this, her neighbor experienced a similar thing where they uh, had a garbage in their shed and the garbage bag was found completely empty in a tree. So, kind of weird. So, so this creature, this creature is like just showing up on people's lawns curled up in the in the ball yes it's going through people's garbage but like not 
totally chaotically like like an animal, like a feral animal, but like yeah, taking like stuff a out or something, trying to you know, and then kind of just misplacing people's things mm-hmm. up in trees and all that. Weird. Yeah, and it was described as a just the creature having long hair and being tall, as like the the grandmother recounted from what she saw curled up in her lawn. And Bruce does note, and I don't quite remember this from all the Bigfoot stories Frank and I have heard, but apparent the this curled up kind of semi-fetal position is pretty common, uh, like a pretty common position that the creatures sleep in. I don't, I don't quite know about that. I haven't heard of that really, or I'm so, just misremembering. Are you saying, like, the author was saying that this specific creature, no, or Bigfoot like type creatures, Bigfoot stories, Bigfoot type creatures, seen sleeping in the yeah. semi curled up fetal <laughs> position? I've certainly heard from Bigfoot stories that and I recognize. You know, previous episodes we're talking about ghosts and all that, and also we're like. Bigfoot sleep curled up, but in Bigfoot stories, people often find what they claim are nests in the woods or jungles that are like circular, cleared out areas. So, which does kind of imply that, yeah, that's that's kind of how they would be resting or where they kind of relax. Okay. Um. So that that definitely does check out with other stories, and apparently. Uh, the creature seemed to, so, well, let me dial back for a sec. All of this previous story kind of leads you to believe that, okay, this is a physical creature, some unidentified ape. However, the last little bit of this encounter, uh, might have you think otherwise. The tracks that they found, led. To where they just tracked them. It led to wherever in the woods. Then they stopped as if the creature vanished. Just the tracks ended with no sign of where the creature would have went. And remember, this was uh, in the wintertime, so there was snow. And even in the woods, there will be snow, and you can see tracks. So the tracks, wherever they led, just stopped, and the creature vanished. That's eerie. I mean, I've never lived anywhere really where there are tracks that can be visible around where I am, but just imagining following tracks in the snow of some creature, yeah, especially well, like something that seems large and then them stopping. Yeah. That's maybe, maybe he's got wings. Maybe he flew. <laughs> Bigfoot with right, wings. Just lifted off. Well, Aaron, you and I live in or near areas with more or of a more rural uh, setting. When you're when you've been at home in the winter, is it pretty easy to see like deer tracks, like what or something, if they're walking through your yard or nearby? Yeah, it's pretty easy to like spot like the scene of the crime of like a deer walking through your yard or even like a bear or something, um, and until they disappear actually, into like the woods. And yeah, I'm glad you gets... mentioned a bear because what do you think most of these sightings get chalked up to? A bear. Bear. Bears like to root around in garbage and generally are big hairy creatures that can sometimes stand on two legs right with three toes with three toes and well uh, seemingly the ability to vanish i mean sounds like a bear to me or (laughs) fly 
It's the multi bear, I think. It's an owl bear. <laughs> so there were no more sightings or tracks that the author was aware of, or Bruce Raz rather, I'll just call him Bruce. Um for about a year after this until uh December fifth in nineteen seventy nine. And so this area in Kinderhook uh, called Cushing's Hill is where a lot of activity seemed to happen around. And so his cousin Barry uh, experienced this. So he's 14 now at the time. And he went out to go trapping in the swamp near Cushing's Hill, which was about one mile from uh, their grandparents' house. And after some time, Barry comes running home and says to everyone in the house that he saw four, quote, great big things crossing the creek and heading into the woods. Good vocab, Barry. <laughs> he described the things as light brown furry creatures making strange grunting and, quote, clacking sounds. What? So I'm, Clacking? Yeah, clacking. Did do you happen to know if it was like a bipedal creature or was it on four legs? I will get to that right now. Okay. He said they were walking on two legs and they were <laughs> much larger than Barry, who at 14 was almost six feet tall and they were bigger than him Whoa. by a fair margin. Again, okay. Light brown furry creatures walking on two legs. That could be bears. Probably a squirrel. I don't know if brown, if a pack of four brown bears would be walking around in early December. Um, but perhaps the the grunting and clacking sounds are a bit more uh, interesting. The clacking could be mistaken for just random, you know, wood noises. But um, the fact that Barry, what do you think he means? I don't know because by clacking, I I don't know because like mouth. Well, in my notes, clacking wants to correct to clicking. It thinks I made a mistake, but and maybe Bruce had a typo in his book. But in the book, he it was described as clacking. Can I uh, make a point about the yeah. clacking? So I could be mistaken, and people are, can feel free to correct me, but. Uh, I believe that monkeys or apes tend to clack their teeth when communicating at times. And I think we looked at that in bio class. Don't bring that up when Frank's here. You know he's sensitive. Well, I didn't say the kinderhook creature has culture, but I'm just Fair saying th that uh, Aaron. apes and monkeys tend to clack their teeth, if I remember correctly. Frank, do you have any comment? So you're saying, Aaron, that that's primate behavior yeah so interesting sounds interesting. like not bears then but yeah, that, that was barry's story in uh late 1979 and now we'll move to uh, a woman named barbara so again i'm not i can't quite remember after reading uh the book where if bruce talked to these people or if he just found the story somewhere else but in April of 1980, this woman named Barbara was coming home from Albany, actually, down Route 9 uh, and going back home from work. And she just got into Columbia County 
To the right of her were woods, and to the left was an unplanted cornfield, because, you know, April, the corn's not planted yet. And her headlights illuminated the shape of a creature that she described as seven and a half feet tall with reddish-brown hair or fur. She slowed down her car and just watched the creature walk across the road and into the cornfield, just completely ignoring her. There's something fishy about that because half of Bigfoot encounters are always seeing the, a creature that fits the description of Bigfoot crossing the road. Why is it always... It, it doesn't feel like... I don't want to say... It feels like stage on the part of the creature. Right? It, it's yeah, like, it, it just it happens to be crossing the road. Yeah, it ignored a yeah. car and the headlights. Like, a deer obviously will look and, you know, deer in the headlights. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. I, I swear that whatever this thing is, whether it's, you know, assuming it's a real thing that people encounter, which I'm in the camp of. Too many people see things like this, you know... I, Barry might be making stuff up, but Grandma? I trust Grandma. Well, this isn't Grandma. This is just another woman who uh, named Barbara. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just in general, like, oh, I see. people seeing these creatures, like, I trust. Yeah, well, I'm going to trust Grandma. Like I said, Barry will actually come up again and with other experiences. So could he have made... Unrelated? All, yeah, uh, well, no, or still of the Kinderhook, still this Kinderhook creature okay. slash creatures. Gotcha. But just multiple occasions. Gotcha. Um, and now yeah, we get just weird with crossing the road. Yeah. Now we'll get into a story that Bruce experienced in July of 1980. So now it's summertime. He had a friend visiting from England. Uh, Bruce does mention he was in England for a time. Um, I don't remember when that was, but if sounds like it might have been sometime in like 1980, and then he got back and he had a friend friend visiting, but I could be wrong. And he was leaving his grandparents' house to walk where uh, she was staying, uh, Bruce's friend. And at around 11 o'clock, they walked out of the door. And as they did, the security light flicked on and they heard some vocalization of an animal. The vocalization was described as starting with a series of grunts, which turned into high-pitched shrieking and screaming until becoming mm. just merely a low moan. And this whole ordeal lasted for about 30 seconds. Sure there wasn't Aaron? <laughs> yeah, I have been known to do that on occasion. In July of 1980 in Kinderhook, New York. Yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I'm the Kinderhook creature. This is actually an interview, not a storytelling. So ask me any questions. <laughs> is, it, is a Kinderhook creature AMA? <laughs> um and uh bruce does kind of uh focus a lot on the on like vocalizations that are being he heard there are like sightings like you know uh of creatures but a lot is also vocalization so some of those you could chalk up to other animals that people just don't know but again why would people be lying about weird noises they heard if they don't know what it is no, they're just describing the noise do you how do you feel though about um people who have purported evidence of these creatures by recording their vocalizations because in my mind it's kind of similar to evps where people kind of hear sometimes whatever they yeah. want to hear 
and I'm not a. Do you, you know, are you in the same camp or? Well, I'm not an avid outdoorsman, but mm-hmm. when I'll say this, when there are like hunters and even Barry in that previous story, he was 14 years old but out setting traps by himself. Like, yeah, he's not. He knows what he's doing in the woods, even though he's young. But like outdoorsmen, hunters, outdoors women, we're inclusive here. Um. <laughs> If they hear a noise of an animal and they don't know what it is and they know the region and the wildlife because they've been in the woods all their lives, including, you know, their adult lives. I why would you? it's the same thing as like an expert saying something. You're just like, nah, they're wrong. Like, why would you just not? Why would you say they're not telling the truth? They know more than you do. That's what I think. That's a good point. Yeah. They would know. They know the sounds of the of. They know the sounds of outside. Exactly. Um, and now we're still in 1980, September 24th. Bruce describes this as uh, the turning point for him, and pretty quick too, because he he was skeptical for a bit of like in the night in the late 70s and these other occurrences in the uh, the mid 80s or the mid mid 1980 rather. And then we get to September, and he describes this as a turning point for him. So, he took a walk around a golf course that was near his grandparents' house. And on his way home, he ended up just taking a road that was heavily wooded on both sides. And it went past his parents' house. So that was just, you know, whatever. Normal, normal walk. He's near his, he'll walk past his parents' house. Totally normal. And he said he experienced that feeling of being watched and also followed as if something on his right, he said, took a step every time he did, kind of mimicking his movement. He didn't, he didn't see anything unusual, but he kept a diary at the time and did catalog this feeling of being watched and followed. And then later that day, in the evening, him and Barry go walk around the golf course as the full moon was rising. So this is in late September, um, full moon rising. It's, you know, not too late. It's not like it's midnight, but Bruce is joking about the previous story of Barry seeing those creatures from almost a year ago. And they get back, and he finishes writing this diary by writing that he went to Chatham at around 9 p.m. And because he was called by his grandmother, who wanted him to come back home because something was outside terrifying her. But by the time he got home, it was gone. When Bruce got to his grandma's house, Barry had a shotgun, and his grandmother was talking about what had happened, and his aunt, Aunt Barbara, separate Barbara from before, his aunt, uh, Aunt Barbara, which is Barry's mom, was also there, and he describes her as a complete nervous wreck. She, uh... 
his grandmother recounts Barbara was bringing her home. They it was her, Barbara, Barbara's daughter's chair, uh, Sherry, and Sherry's infant daughter Melanie. And as they were bringing water jugs onto the porch, they heard vocalizations, which which seemed to only be a few feet away around the corner from their root cellar. Oh my god. Sherry and Barbara are freaking out as these screams continue, and Sherry locks the door to the car after telling her mom to get in the car. So she's yelling at her mom to get in the car, but locked it. (gasps) Wait a minute. This is a scene in a Goofy movie. Oh, with the Bigfoot in the Goofy movie? With the... With the Bigfoot, like oh, when they're hiding in the car oh, and the Bigfoot's oh, on top of the car. <laughs> Bruce made it all up. It must be based on this. Oh, yeah. Or vice, no, no, vice versa. It was, the movie's based on this story. Yeah. And, um, the grandma ends up staying at the house to protect it with a hammer while the others, uh, go get Barry. And after the car backed out of the driveway, the creature moaned and then continued to do so until they got back, and then it started making the noises again. After Barry got there, he shot the shotgun in the air three times to try and scare off whatever this was, and Grandma thought it was two creatures, one where one was by the woods and one was by the house near the air conditioner, because she saw imprints where it was standing underneath the window. So, but they never saw it or saw any of the creatures during correct. The it incident. was just hearing these vocalizations, and then everyone was so scared they just went to get Barry. He shot off warning shots, and it all seemed to go away. Gotcha. But this was a turning point for him because it's like, okay, my family had all these experiences before, you know, chalk it up to whatever. But now, so you know, his aunt Barry again, his grandma. Just it was like real raw emotion about in like fear of what was at the house. So any uh, any skepticism Bruce had was gone at this point. And wow, after this story, um, his Bruce's mother wrote a letter to a man named Barney Fowler, who was a columnist at the Times Union uh, in Albany. And oh, okay. the letter that his mom sent to uh, Fowler ended up getting published. And again, this is in the book. If we can put in the show notes, we will. Yes. Um, and the publishing of this Fowler unknowingly sparked a bunch of other people to send in their stories and for him to publish them in his column. So people all over Columbia County sent in their stories. And it did track it did attract the uh the eye of a Dr. Gary Levine who is quote a paran- a paranormal investigator who leaned on the psychic view of the creature, which I think Frank and I are more 
uh, familiar with. I would agree with that statement. I would also agree with that statement. Yeah, so that's basically, like I said, some of the stories really said so far kind of describe it as this physical creature. There are these imprints, it's leaving tracks, it's going through garbage. But then the vanishing is strange. People not being able to see them, you know, they're kind of elusive. Some people in some other camps of thought think that these Bigfoot sightings and just, you know, Bigfoot is not uh, flesh and blood, but some like metaphysical supernatural entity. So, in my uh, opinion, that's where I think Gary or Dr. Levine is in. He's in that camp. And so, Fowler kept running these stories through uh, Halloween of 1980. So, about a little more than a month. Uh, But, let me pull up the quote here. Uh, When... As these stories kept coming in and we got to Halloween, uh, he put, maybe we've gone overboard on this thing. (laughs) So just because of the sheer number of stories being sent to him. Wow. And so sightings and hearing vocalizations continued. They were reported to Bruce because Bruce actually wrote about some of them in, uh, back then, something called the uh, Metroland Magazine and the Chatham Courier. I don't know if those are both still uh, in print right now. I'll see if I could find maybe some of the old articles. Sure. You never know. Yeah. And um, funny enough, according to Bruce, many of the individuals who sent him reports wish to remain anonymous. So people kind of like his grandma did not want to be ridiculed made fun of called crazy they wanted to just have their stories be heard good thing we don't care about being called crazy true yeah i know i'm crazy (laughs) now barry again barry and uh bruce's other cousin russell uh were going to go meet up with barry's girlfriend and as Barry and Russell are walking up the road to Barry's girlfriends, they see five shadowy figures in the road. They were described as being very tall and having little or no neck, so pretty beefy as well. <laughs> Barry turns to Russell to like be like, yo, are you seeing that? And as he turns to Russell... He sees Russell running back down the road. <laughs> so it's like, that, oh my god, are you seeing it? And they're just like, yeah, yeah. And they're just like running. And I, the head's not even turned back. Damn. But a real trooper, Barry continued on to meet his girlfriend. And she actually corroborated the sightings. As she was uh, walking to meet them, she saw a huge hairy creature rummaging through her trash near her house and just devouring food from inside that's hopefully nick after you finish the stories at the end we can like discuss like what we think is going on because why would a creature that appears and disappears have to 
eats people's food from their garbage. Yeah, exactly. But that's what makes it confusing. Maybe that's... Is it supernatural? What, yeah, what is what is, is it that? Flesh and blood. I don't Who know. said it has to eat the food? Maybe it enjoys it. I know you don't <laughs> enjoy going through garbage. I, I don't know. I know that you don't enjoy eating food, Frank, but other things <laughs> do. You're right. I do not typically enjoy eating food from garbage. That's true. But yeah, he still gets Popeyes every now and or again. Food. You're right. That's true. That basically is equivalent, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Popeyes. <laughs> not anymore. Um, yeah, not anymore. And now we get into November of 1980. So a lot of activity in 1980. Um. Barry, Bruce, Barry's girlfriend, and Russell, so the troop from before, but now Bruce is there, uh, we're taking just a nice evening stroll in the, in the nice fall weather. I'm sure Kinderhook is beautiful in the fall. Oh, I bet. And they heard something large moving through the bushes in Bruce's parents' field. So again, the grandparents and the parents are pretty near each other. Barry ended up chasing after it, and everyone's like oh, trying to get him back. But it's like, oh, well, get, we got to go get him. So they uh, chased him and they saw that Barry stopped dead in his tracks and was just staring at a spot in the field. And Barry recounts that it was almost as like he was in a trance. What? And Bruce looks where Barry is staring and uh claims that he sees a pair pair of red eyes about six feet off the ground and after a few moments they just vanished what what is going on yeah so we've talked about like five encounters four or five encounters just happening in the year of 1980 Uh, again surround and this is is just surrounding uh Bruce and his family are people who have talked to Bruce, but mainly it's ones that Bruce and his family have experienced. So I'm sure the... And the first one, what was the first story from? 78? 79. Uh, oh, no. 78, over like... 78 was the first one where there were those tracks. That's uh, over so. years. Yes. Yeah, so all this activity occurred from the late 70s to about the mid 80s. Wow. Um. It's quiet for a bit, and then in May of 1981, uh, again, Barry, a lot, a lot of with Barry, he, he really, uh, see, these sightings didn't, you know, keep him down. He was out in the woods doing stuff all the time, so, <laughs> but uh, his friends uh, went down to the creek and just set up a campsite. They were just, you know, camp in the woods, like young uh, young men do in the 80s, probably. Barry... Before Fortnite. Yeah, before Fortnite and uh, TikTok. <laughs> um, Barry ended up arriving late and walked on the path alone to his uh, to the campsite. And he carried a lantern with him because, you know, it was very dark. And as he got onto the path, he sees, quote, glowing red eyes reflecting in the lamplight. He books it towards the campfire, told his friends what he saw, and they weren't even surprised. His friends tell him that, quote, it was hanging around since they got the fire set up. And when the fire was burning stronger, it would back away 
and as the, but as the fire died down, it would get closer and make these horrible vocalizations again. Oh my and god! They compared it to Frank might not know this, but Aaron, you know when you blow on a blade of grass, you make that that noise. Yeah, like a whistle. What almost? is that? Yeah, that's what they compared the vocalization to. Grass. What's that? And <laughs> what's that? <laughs> um. After several hours, they see the silhouette of a tall figure with long arms and again no neck over a ridge standing on two legs. So needless to say, uh the boys didn't get a lot of sleep that night. <laughs> um We also Dr. Levine, again the paranormal investigator, comes up uh every now and again and he actually talked to Bruce and his family. And because of this, I don't know how I tried to look up Dr. Gary Levine. Um a lot of them showed up. <laughs> Or maybe it's multiple links for mul- or for the same one, but I couldn't really determine which Dr. Yeah. Levine it was. But whatever connections he had, Dr. Levine talking to Bruce and his family uh, led to PM Magazine coming to do a segment on them, which they named the Kinderhook Creature. So that's where the name came from. Ah, uh, okay. The host, his name was Alan Taffel. And I'm not going to get too much into the segment. Again, in the book, there is like a transcript of part of it uh, that we can show. Potentially. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, again, they went to Cushing's Hill or Cushing's Hill. I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, they were setting up cameras. And then the crew, Bruce... And friends of Bruce and uh, his family heard three distinct noises. One was monkey chatter. Second was a high-pitched scream. And third, and probably the most terrifying, Bruce put it as, quote, a baby vocalization. What? So, like, what? Hearing, like, a baby in the woods is typically... Um, not great so, in terms of like all the folklore and supernatural things because it could be an entity trying to lure you away from safety. I got a question about Go the baby it. vocalizations. Was it yeah. like baby screaming or like just like baby noises? I don't know if Bruce described it further, but he just said baby vocalization. Because coming, I, I don't from, remember if he described it. coming from a rural area where I've, I've heard some things um fox like foxes in heat sound a lot like babies crying like screaming Fair enough. out like really yes interesting so so my only thing with that and again very easily could be but if bruce and his family are there and they live in the woods if and they've been living in the woods for most of their lives, or not in the woods, but like near the woods. I find it hard to believe that they've never heard a fox in heat. Yeah, that's fair. I'm Just... not saying I'm not saying, oh, it definitely wasn't a fox, but I find it pretty unlikely that these people who live in a rural area 
haven't heard that and know what it is. Even if it's the 1980s. That's not that long ago. Fair enough. So, but perhaps. I actually would lean towards, like, even if you cross it off the list, right? You, what do you still have? Monkey chatters. Pretty sure, ah. you know, I don't know any other creatures that do monkey chatters. So, I, I looked into the, I found the part in the book that talks about this. He calls it um, the, quote, baby crying vocalization. Mm. So, sounds more like a baby crying for to okay. be complete. Also, just to point out, I'm not saying that because the baby crying could sound like a fox. I'm saying maybe this creature was attacking a fox. Oh, yeah, who knows what it? Oh. Who knows what it was? It could. It could have been a fox. It could have been a fox being <laughs> mangled. I guess we'll actually talk about some interesting. Uh, Things that have to do with, like, critters and small animals uh, later on, so. Oh, good. But, <clears throat> sorry. These vocalizations were continuing on, but what do you think happened as soon as the equipment activated, Frank? As soon as the equipment activated? Yep. Either it went dead, batteries drained, or the stuff stopped. All the noises stopped. As soon as the yeah. equipment was all activated and turned on. It's got so, that funny uh, timing. It always happens. Yeah. And again, we can present the transcript in the show notes potentially, but uh, that was, so that's where the Kinderhook creature namesake uh, came from. And then again, later in 1981, in September, uh, a strange man, as Bruce puts it, shows up at their house. And it's act- it's a hunter out uh tracking rabbits and he found he found some interesting tracks and Bruce was like, okay, whatever. But he f- but he followed just because he was curious and was actually impressed by the tracks and made plaster casts of them right then and there. Um he sent them to a paleontologist and a physical anthropologist who both agreed they were not faked and they were humanoid. Wow. So, again, I don't know if there are images in the book of those ca- uh, casts. Uh, oh, they are. There is a picture. If we can... They will be in the show yeah. notes. Can you show us, Nick? That picture at the top. Oh, boy. He's holding casts of... It's about the size of his torso. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Wow, look look at that. Now, these have five toes. Yes. And let me see if I can show you the... I didn't say this, but uh, there are some uh, drawings of what they describe. What the hell is that? It looks like an alien. This is what Barry drew of, the, uh, of what he saw in that first story in 1979. That's terrifying. <laughs> oh, my God. This was another what? one. What this looks like? It looks like a 1950s, uh, like monster movie yeah. creature. Um, and that's just the gra- the grandma, but yeah. So there are some other pictures Ugh. and things in here. Here's the transcript if we want to put that in. It's a bit long, but but yeah. So you guys can see them if we can put them in. We will. Yeah. 
That's that's creepy. That's weird. But I will stop joking. Um. So yeah. At so a lot of these events are occurring, and everyone's you know admittedly pretty freaked out. So Bruce and his friends try to actually set up and perform experiments to try and get the creature's attention. Um, I don't think they used any peanut butter, so probably not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> why, why peanut butter, Nick? What's the, uh, what's the link there? There is a story <laughs> that I've heard <laughs> uh, where someone who, I think it was a farmer or something like that, had uh, yeah, like Bigfoot encounters near his house and put out peanut butter for him, and all the peanut butter would be eaten, basically. So, Bigfoot loves peanut butter, confirmed. Yeah, if you have, uh, if you think you have Bigfoot near you, or something related, and you want to lure him out, better use some peanut butter. But what Bruce and his friends did... They modified a bird feeder and replaced the sides of it with meat and other food. And they poured flour around the surrounding uh, grass so that there would be footprints left. That's kind of smart. Yeah. Wow. And funny enough, steak was always taken from the bird feeder, but uh, things like chicken or hot dogs were always uh, left. Also, there were never any footprints. <laughs> Wait, steak was taken, but other meats were left? Yeah, so steak was always taken, but not chicken <laughs> or hot dogs. Frank, you're hung up on that. I'm hung up on the no footprints. Yeah, I, I don't oh, think... Oh, wait, you said no footprints? Yeah, and I mean, maybe a giant bird came and took the steak, I guess. But, um... I wish yeah. we had a picture of, like how far how far of a radius do they have a flower yeah, i don't know right if this guy is like if this creature is like seven feet tall it's probably got a huge arm span yeah you know i could probably just reach they also so this is a even funnier one or more interesting they left pizza out one time just like a couple of slices still in the pizza box and they ended up finding the box in the brush at the far end of the property with claw marks or fingernail scratches on the box, but the pizza was still in the box. So it just moved the pizza? I guess, and scratched at the cardboard? I don't know. Couldn't figure out the pizza box. Yeah. That is so weird. So did they ever try to leave, like, traps? Like, you said that Barry was a, a trapper from a young age. Did they ever... Yeah. Like, leave, like, rope traps, bear traps, anything like that? From Bruce's accounts, no. Unlucky. Um, and now we're kind of winding down in terms of sightings. There's one more kind of important story that we'll get into, but... The creature also started being spotted in orchards around, like, apple season in 1982, and, you know, upstate New York is pretty well known for apples so kinderhook is no uh exception to that and now we're going to talk about you know how i was saying there were instances with uh like animals and little critters earlier mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
there were a few occurrences of animal carcasses, such as uh, rabbits, being found with no blood around the carcasses. Oh. As if they were drained. Weird. That that comes up in so many different paranormal stories. Yeah, not just Bigfoot. Uh, and if yeah, anything, not been, Bigfoot yeah. too much. No, yeah. I mean, it's pretty... Uh, you always hear that of like... Yeah. That's, skinwalker what? stuff. Yeah. Um, there's also another... Uh, account that the author talks about in the book called the Whitehall Aber Road incident that happened in Whitehall, New York. Um, we won't talk about it here. That could be a whole nother episode, but I just wanted to mention it that uh, in other places uh, in New York, a lot of there are still sightings of creatures such as the Kinderhook creature. Bruce also notes that there were wild man sightings in the 1800s and early 1900s. And this wasn't necessarily like Bigfoot. It was literal like wild men. Like, like weird. They just lost their, uh, what's the word? Like civility. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. And they just essentially became wild men. Not not like think, Mountain Men, the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that those stories of wild men, because I've heard some of those too, do you think that that's, I know some are actual stories of people who were known to have, you know, left society, gone to live in the woods, rejected, you know, as they say, returned to monkey. <laughs> of course. And lived like wild. But I wonder, you know, if people are seeing things in the 1980s, these creatures have probably been, probably been around yeah much longer have been seen at different times so i wonder if 1800s 1700s and so on if people saw these sorts of creatures would they be chalked up to under the title wild men whereas nowadays they're chalked up to uh bigfoot well, you know what i mean back in like the 1700s and you know it was still mainly or not mainly but there were still a lot of uh native americans here and they already have their own, like, lore surrounding skinwalkers, especially the, even the tribes up in upstate New York. I, I don't think all uh, Native American tribes have skinwalkers. I could be wrong, but I don't think they would mistake, like, me, like men for, maybe they would be like, oh, he's acting crazy, he's a skinwalker. But yeah. how they describe skinwalkers, they have to be medicine men, like, separately. They would know who the medicine men are. Yeah, I think there actually are Native American accounts of what we would describe as Bigfoot type creatures, uh, pretty similar to yeah. like what you're describing in your stories. So, yeah, this thing probably goes really far back. Oh yeah, but so many questions, so many questions. It, it makes sense if it was like, you know, the pizza was eaten, the footprints were there, the the blood was on the ground, you know. But yeah. there's all those little details that make you wonder. Yeah, it's not quite. Like, oh, all these things match to this creature that we know about, except this. Why did this yeah. happen? Um, but yeah, so as I said before, most of the sightings of the Kinderhook creature were kind of, you know, it was kind of died down by the mid-1980s, but not entirely. But 
there were some other weird sightings that occurred, potentially not Kinderhook creature related. So in November of 1986 in Chatham, New York, which I think is in Greene County. I don't know if it's in Columbia County, but anyway. Uh, four workers at the Blue Seal Feeds and Needs Company uh, observed mysterious people with no eyes and who wore robes. Oh, good. One of, uh, one of the figures... Whoa, whoa. Yeah, what? Wait, wait, say that again? So, at the Blue Seal Feeds and Needs Company, there were four workers who claimed to observe mysterious people with no eyes and who wore robes. <laughs> what? And... According to one of the workers, one of the figures seemed to be staring at them and then simply vanished into thin air. The workers also observed the figures near silos that were behind the offices at the uh, company. So definitely... Well, to throw in... What? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say just definitely not the Kinderhook creature. I don't know what that is. Well, could it have been? But then some similarities... I mean, the vanishing into thin air, yes, but the robes and the no eyes. Well, if if it's this extra dimensional being or whatever, this metaphysical being, who's to say that it can't change shape? That's fair. Totally fair. If I could just throw in, looks like, is it Chatham? Chat- Not Chatham? Yes, Chatham. Chatham. Yep. It looks like Chatham is in Columbia County. Mm. It's just a little, hold up, what direction is this? North, okay, east of Kinderhook. Um, so pretty close, mm-hmm. but yeah, still in. Looks like directly east of Valati. Oh yeah, that's Valati nowadays or Valachi, whatever. That's technically a part oh, of the, Kinderhook. Ah, uh, like it's like a okay. vill- it's like a village or something inside of Kinderhook. But gotcha. Yeah, yeah. so it's same general area as Kinderhook. Yeah. Definitely. So, and this happened in 1986. So again, kind of like the mid. The mid nineteen eighties, a lot of the uh, sightings of the Kinderhook creature kind of died down, kind of around nineteen eighty two, nineteen eighty three, but then this happened in nineteen eighty six, hmm. and then in the late eighties and the early to mid nineties, there were reports of what Bruce uh, named quote just the critter. That's it. There were there. There are some stories, but because I wanted to focus on the Kinderhook creature, we're just going to kind of uh, breeze over the critter. Uh, Encounters with the critter just included more uh, weird vocalizations. Sometimes it was bird-like. Sometimes people said it sounded like a dog or a cat. And there were additional tracks found. And I will say the critter was... um, I believe reported to mainly be four-legged. Hmm. So again, kind of different from the Kinderhook creature who was almost, from what I can remember, actually exclusively reported as bipedal, not, not a quadruped. And now we get into the last kind of main story. At the estate of a Mr. Diaz in the autumn of 1989. Mr. Diaz heard strange and strange guttural noises and contacted Bruce. Didn't really see much of anything. And then 
Uh, he contacted him again in mid-January of 1990. Mr. Diaz and Bruce found unusual tracks in the snow that went in a straight line. Which is pretty weird, because no one really walks in a straight line. Especially like an animal. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. The tracks appear to, again, quote, end nowhere. Just like uh, some of those tracks of the Kinderhook creature. They could make out toes to the tracks. And get this, the tracks appeared to be 23 inches by 13 inches. That sounds huge. Is two feet long by by about a foot wide. Yeah, so pretty much like double the size of a human foot. Yeah, and in February of the same year, nineteen ninety, and this is going back to kind of those uh, animal ones, and this one is a bit more gruesome. A coyote was found stuffed into the branches of a tree. 10 feet off the ground. Its neck was broken. It had no other broken bones. And there was no blood anywhere. There was no skin left on it. (laughs) And the internal organs were removed. Like, was it ripped open? There was no blood anywhere. Yeah, but like, how did the internal organs get removed? If it, it didn't say it was like torn apart, it just said the neck was broken. There were no other broken bones. There was no blood. The coyote had no skin, and the internal organs were removed. <laughs> and it was stuffed into a tree in the branches, <laughs> ten feet off the ground. What are you supposed? To, what the heck is that? What are you supposed to make of that? As as with my last episode, I always save the best for last. Like, literally, like, what? <laughs> what they do? Like, what did the creature, or presumably this creature, like, suck out the organs through its mouth? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Or blow them out the other way? Yeah, I don't know what this would have, uh, I don't know what would have done this. I don't know of any animal that can just stuff a coyote ten feet up into tree branches either. Um, yeah, so pretty gruesome and kind of wrapping up, there were further reports of vocalizations mainly, and again, sightings of some large four-legged creature, which was more akin to this critter. And lastly, at the time that Bruce was writing this book, which I believe was 2022 and might be 2021. Bruce had not received any new reports of the Kinderhook creature. So I'll leave it to you guys. What do you think all this means back in the late 70s (laughs) and mid 80s? I'm curious to know what Aaron thinks. I'm also curious to what I think. I don't... (laughs) So, like, I personally don't really know how to wrap my head around the metaphysical aspect of like a bigfoot style thing like i know you guys listen to a different podcast where you know bigfoot is described as this extra terrestrial extra dimensional being that can just like do whatever it wants pretty much do, do you want a quick breakdown of like the, the categories that people fall into yeah sure for in brief 
one camp says that Bigfoot creatures are entirely flesh and blood, undiscovered primates that just um, science hasn't discovered yet. But there's nothing weird about them. They're just really hard to find for whatever reason. Maybe they're very intelligent, right? There's another camp that believes that they are partially physical, but then partially non-material. And they point to stories where Bigfoot disappears, reappears, Bigfoot's seen flashing or disappearing into flashes of light, coming out of portals, um, all that. Then there's another camp that's related to that one that links Bigfoot with UFOs and aliens. And the most extreme view on that side, which is completely opposite of Bigfoot just being an undiscovered primate, is that Again, this is not what I believe necessarily. Bigfoot is a robot creature deployed by aliens and UFOs to do their busy work on the planet. <laughs> but then there's another camp that the Earth is a prison call. You know, I should probably cut this. It sounds crazy. <laughs> the big that <laughs> the planet is a prison colony for Bigfoot creatures, and the UFOs are like the police, and they drop them. They drop them off on our planet. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I hope that Does that help, Aaron? It up. Yeah. yeah. Does that clear it all so, up? So I'm thinking I'm in Camp Two, where it's partially physical, partially not. <laughs> like, because I can't really justify it being entirely physical, where it's just like, oh yeah, it leaves tracks until it doesn't, or oh yeah, it disappears. Or, you know, stuffing coyotes and just magically taking out its internal organs. Like, that... Like the red eyes. Well, the red eyes, you know, I could believe that. Um, mm-hmm. But nothing can... Like, I, it's hard to wrap myself, my head around a physical being doing some of those things. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and it's very hard to stage that evidence. Like, assuming everyone's accounts of everything is accurate and that people aren't just making it up right which i think is pretty standard for us here um it's really hard to fake that too like you can't just be like oh yep you know cody the other day just stuffed a coyote and took out its internal organs just threw it up in a tree like no yeah, t- 10 feet in the air yeah no yeah it's certainly that that last one is certainly the strangest and but with that one, it is kind of out of the, you know, Kinderhook creature flap, I guess. Most most of the Kinderhook creature stuff ended about 1985. There were some stories that we didn't get into uh, that were in the book, but that doesn't mean that that wasn't the Kinderhook creature or something else, as we discussed just a few minutes ago about the critter or those mysterious robed figures. So it could have been any of those things that did this or something entirely different. Definitely. And to quick throw in, Nick, you just mentioned flap. Yes. I just want to define that for the folks at home. That just refers to like a period of time where there's a lot of activity for whatever phenomena. I think that originated with like talking about UFO stuff. Yeah. So these sorts of paranormal things do seem to occur in waves where there's a lot of activity for a few weeks, months, or even years. And then long stretches of time where there's nothing. 
And that kind of goes with what you said. The author said that he hasn't received recent reports. Yep. There, there were, I can't quite remember, but I think there were some things not Kinderhook creature related because as Bruce said, he hadn't gotten anything from the Kinderhook creature in recent years. But I think in like the early 2000s, I'll double check here. I think there were some of the like the critter sightings, but that might have been just more kind of into the 90s. It kind of it went Kinderhook creature into the critter and those uh mysterious robed figures and then the critter kind of is what all is where all this ended it seemed kind of in the mid 90s interesting why does that happen why does it come in waves i don't know it's like the well old, it's like the old uh like every 30 years you know the this yeah. curse will <laughs> <laughs> whatever Kind of like that. When the plants are aligned, the Kindro creature will roam Chatham well, once more. What was 1985? 2015 was 30 years ago. Maybe tw- maybe in two- 2025, it's coming up soon. 40 years. Hey. Maybe, maybe he'll make a comeback. I'll be in the area. I'll let you guys know if oh. I see anything. Perfect. Yeah, we'll go camping. <laughs> <laughs> that's creepy that's creepy Cushing, that's creepy having like campfire oh uh, yeah but like having the creature come closer and further with the fire oh yeah what happens when the fire dies out or what happens if the fire yeah. just you know went out on its own then what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah imagine um, that's scary but, but yeah. yeah that is well all for the kinderhook creature there are other parts uh in uh bruce's book of kinderhook there there, he has chapters on uh martin van buren as we said the ghost of martin van buren uh specifically uh ufos little people and his last chapter what an interesting topic yeah his last chapter kind of uh talks about what he thinks about all the stuff happening in kinderhook but it kind of it talked about uh kind of all of the things and not just the kinderhook creature so uh we didn't want to discuss it here plus he talks about like quantum physics and stuff so we don't need to worry about that that's where i come in yeah (laughs) on the next episode darren's gonna explain quantum physics quantum (laughs) yeah but yeah so we'll definitely put the link to that book in the description and Mm -hmm. we encourage you to you know buy it support the author and read it to hear the rest of the stories and, but and potentially any of yeah. uh his other books that honestly might be interesting for us to look at the monsters of new york monsters of new jersey yeah. aaron potentially yeah. interesting i'll definitely check out the monsters of new york one yeah in fact you mentioned he has a chapter on little people mm-hmm. might as well say next episode which will be my own will be about legends of little people in new york and little people, as in little gnomes, not uh, not people with dwarfism, if that isn't clear. <laughs> yeah, good, I've, good I've heard... My, my siblings were confused. So, yeah. so, Frank, I've heard millions wear the hats. Is that... Will you bring that up? All right, thank you, to, thank you for you listening will. to Wednesday at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for tonight. 
check out the show notes and all references used via the link in the description. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9pm. Eighty-two, forty-six, seventy-three, forty-six, eighty, forty-six, thirty-two, eighty-six, ninety-seven, one hundred and ten, thirty-two, eighty-seven, one hundred and five, one hundred and ten, one hundred and seven, one hundred and eight, one hundred and one.